Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And we welcome back to our show, Congressman Jim McGovern. This is our Our House segment. Congressman McGovern, there is a lot of talk. All right, let's be more direct. There are threats that the government is going to be shut down again. You are back in session or the Congress is back coming back into session this week and next. Is the government going to shut down and what is going to happen? Please help us. Yeah, well, that's a good question, and I wish I had the answer. Uh, I'm very, very worried because it seems clear that the uh, QAnon, QAnon clown caucus uh, is in charge of the Republican Party. I mean, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and Chip Roy, they're calling the shots. Uh, and they can call the shots because basically they negotiated a deal with Kevin McCarthy in order to get their votes for him for speaker that, you know, that they, they get veto power over everything. And these people don't really care about um, whether the government stays open or not. They don't care about people. They just care about Twitter followers and getting attention. Uh, but it's really, uh, this is going to be a test whether or not Kevin McCarthy can, whether or not he has a spine or whether or not he can get a spine transplant between now and the time, you know, the deadline uh, uh, comes about, uh, you know, to, to, to actually govern. Uh, because up to this point, uh, he's been one of the most pathetic political figures that I've ever I've ever seen in the United States Congress. What's the deadline? The end of the month, end of, the, end of September. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and we get these crazy demands from the Freedom Caucus that they, they need an impeachment inquiry to go ahead. And there's all these other things that they want before they even consider whether or not they're going to vote for a temporary stopgap gap. So we have until, like, December to try to figure out, um, you know, whether we can, you know, get a budget passed to keep the government running through next year. Look, we, we one of the one of the jobs Congress has is we have to pass twelve appropriation bills. All right, the Republicans have passed one, the Defense Appropriations Bill. Uh, I mean, and 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 that's it. Uh, everything else is, um, you know, everything else is still on hold. Um, I'm sorry, the mili- they passed the Military Construction Appropriations Bill, not the Defense. And they've done nothing else. And here we are, you know, we're in September. They're not going to pass the bills. We, the, 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 you know, they're going to piece something together that doesn't reflect deliberation or any congressional input or, or any work. And uh, they're going to piece something together and, and then, you know, vote on it. But it's a terrible way to run the government. Is there a likelihood of a continuing resolution? Well, there needs to be because we're not going to be able to figure everything out by the end of September. And I think the issue for Kevin McCarthy is, will he stand up to the most extreme elements of, of his of his of the Republican conference? Now, there are some Republicans who do not want to vote on an impeachment inquiry. They don't think it's helpful uh, to them politically, you know, to go down that road. So he can only lose five Republicans. And so what happens if, if, you, if you can't get if he can't get a majority to go down that road, um, you know, do the do we can he bring something to the floor? And again, the Freedom Caucus has, has said, you know, that if Kevin McCarthy doesn't do what they want him to do, uh, they will vote to vacate the chair, meaning they will oust him as speaker and all he can lose is five votes. Could you, so, cl- could, I mean, could you clarify, yeah, yeah. Congressman McGovern, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I re- really would love you to clarify for me, what is it that the Freedom Caucus is demanding? Yeah, I don't, think they, I don't think they know what they want. I don't think they stand for anything other than disruption 
um, and peddling hate, quite frankly. Um, I, because I, we can't get them to say to us, show us a budget that you would vote for. Show us a, 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 a supplemental bill or a continuing resolution that you would vote for. They don't tell you that. They just tell you what they're against. So I, I don't know. I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene is, I mean, I, I mean, this is the, again, the QAnon clown caucus. This, these people are, are, are beyond extreme, um, you know, when you compare them to any other previous Congress. And, um, you know, I mean, I mean they, they, these are people who literally uh, promote what we would call fascism. I mean, look up the definition um, and look at the history. These, that's what these people are all about. Uh, and, um, and so that's that's kind of where we are right now, and we'll we'll have to see how it works out. But it's all it all. Kevin McCarthy's in charge of the House. I never thought I would say this. I agree with Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell actually said the other day, you know what? Uh, we, we 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 negotiated a uh, you know a, a deal on the debt ceiling with the president, and, and we ought to stick to the numbers in that deal. And so let's get our work done in accordance to what the deal was that we that they voted on, Congressman. Um, let me yeah. ask you, this may be a really stupid question. I fear that it is. But is there any possibility that there are five Republicans in the House of Representatives who would join the Democrats and vote for a budget and get it done? There probably is. But but here's the other thing the Freedom Caucus negotiated. They negotiated seats on the Rules Committee. Um, and in order to get a bill to the floor, you have to get it out of the Rules Committee. Um, and so they have some leverage there as well. And so it's not just whether or not the Senate can send us a bill that is rational. It is that we then have to schedule it. And in order to schedule it, unless you have a super majority vote, um, you have to go through the Rules Committee, and we have to approve a rule for consideration. Uh, And one of the things the Republicans, uh, the Freedom Caucus negotiated were seats on the Rules Committee. I know this kind of sounds arcane, uh, but they were actually very, very smart. Um, and the agreements that they negotiated with Kevin McCarthy, right up and right up to the to the uh, to the agreement that any one person can move to oust the speaker and call for a vote, and there's no limit to the amount of times they can do that. So that's kind of where we are, and uh, and and the issue is whether or not Kevin McCarthy will put the country ahead of his own personal ambition, um, whether he'll have a spine or whether he'll be spineless, uh, or whether he cares about the people of this country, or whether he doesn't. Representative McGovern, this is Buzz. I'm wondering whether uh, you could put on your political prognosticator hat for a moment. Will Repu- if, if September 30th comes and goes, and the government is shut down for whatever period of time, will, will voters, especially Republican voters, understand that that was the result of what Republicans did, and they won't blame Biden and the Democrats for that? Well, I hope so, because, I mean, Biden has basically, um, you know, worked out a deal with um, with Senate Republicans, at least, uh, on terms of what, you know, what, what, what he would accept and what he wouldn't accept. Mitch McConnell seems to be on board with that. Uh, you know, Chuck Schumer's on board with that. Hakeem Jeffries is on board with that. I mean, it, it, and I think most Republicans in the House would be, it's just a small group that are calling the shots. You know, these are people who do not believe in democracy, period. I mean, these people, it, does, it doesn't matter, you know, what the makeup of Congress is. Uh, you know, they want to blackmail uh, their way into getting whatever, whatever they want. 
and by the way, it's not just happening in Washington. I mean, and this is why these upcoming elections are so important, is because, I mean, they're, they're, the Republican Party more and more has become the party of elections don't matter. Um, we should do whatever we need to do to get what we want. I mean, there's an article in the New York Times today about uh, the judge in Wisconsin, uh, this progressive judge that was elected mostly because the people of Wisconsin don't want, you know, judges that are going to ban abortion uh, in all circumstances. And um, anyway, the, the legislature is talking about impeaching her. And she hasn't even decided to case yet. There's no, I mean, there's, there's no basis. She won in a landslide. And what they're saying is, well, because we don't like her, um, you know, we believe she should be ousted from office. And if we have the votes in the legislature to do that, so be it. We can do that. So th- th- this is th- what the Freedom Caucus represents is an attack on our way of governing and on on the issue that, you know, you need a majority to be able to move things forward. They think they should be able to get whatever they want, even though they represent a fringe of this country. We should note that the fight in Wisconsin about the new justice on the court is about whether, in part, is about whether the new maps, congressional maps, will be approved or struck down by the court. And this is a Republican attempt to, again, fix the election, that is to ruin the election, by predetermining the outcome by gerrymandering. It's really quite extraordinarily corrupt. Like Alabama, which thumbs its nose at a Supreme Court decision. Yep, same idea. Uh, Congressman McGovern, while we're on the question of politics, I would appreciate your addressing this. A lot of people who think that think that uh, the Biden administration uh, has actually done a good job in many ways, nonetheless are concerned about Joe Biden's age. And it is something that can't be avoided as a discussion. And I'm wondering if you would share your perspective on that with us. Well, first of all, the administration needs to do a better job of touting its accomplishments. Uh, it's amazing to me how many people don't even know uh, what uh, they have accomplished from the infrastructure bill to the incredible investments to combat climate change. I go on and on and on. Um, and a part of it is they need to do a better job of, of promoting that. The Republicans are very good at promoting their agenda. We need to be better at promoting our agenda. In terms of his age, yeah, I mean, I'm just I, I'm somebody who, who believes that, um, you know, that, you know, age is, you know, is, 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 is overblown in terms of, of, of being an issue. Look, at it, if, if he is not capable of doing his job, well, then, yeah, I mean, we can we should we should talk about age. I've been with the president many times and he I mean, he's on top of everything. I mean, I, 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 I have no doubt that he is not only competent, but he is engaged in everything. Um, and look, if you ask me, do I wish Joe Biden looked 10 years younger? Yeah, I do. Do I wish I looked 10 years younger? Yeah, I do. <laughs> but that's just the way it is. I mean, and, um, you know, some of us look remarkably young until we're 100. And some of us, you know, look tough when we're 50. So it is what it is. But I mean, this is not a beauty contest, right? This is not a this is this is kind of a superficial matter when you think about what is at stake. Uh, in this upcoming election. I mean, everything from the environment to civil rights to human rights to abortion rights to, I mean, the the, the, the future of the Supreme Court, uh, you know, issues involving workers. Uh, our economy is moving in the right direction. We are lowering inflation and recovering. Uh, our, our economy is recovering 
faster than any other country in the world. We're, we're moving in the right direction. We want to move. We want to continue to go in that direction. Our democracy, we just had a conversation. Our democracy is at stake. So if, you know, if, you know, if the only issue that matters is Joe Biden, you know, is, you know, he, he, he doesn't walk as briskly as some of us would like the president to walk. I mean, come on. I mean, we don't have the luxury of, you know, of, of focusing on stuff like that when everything else is at stake. And so I'm, I'm like, you know, he's the guy. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's him or the other guy. And I, I, I you know, a, 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 probably a convicted criminal by the time uh, the election comes about. Uh, I mean, come on. I mean, and, and, and I, I get it. I mean, we, we all wish, he, you know, he, Biden was looked a little bit, you know, more energetic or whatever. I get it. But you know what? He, that's who he is. So let's, let's, let's get over it and move forward. It does seem to me, Congressman McGovern, that when there is a problem with the economy, the Biden administration gets much of the blame. When there's right. good news, they don't get much of the credit. I would like to know your perspective on the potential for a strike with the automakers, which could have an enormous impact on the economy. Your thoughts about that? Well, one is I hope we can avoid a strike. And what the workers are asking for basically is, you know, the same increases in terms of their compensation that top management gets. And I don't think that that's a radical idea. I mean, the idea that just because you're at the top means that you can you get percentage increases that are astronomical, but if you're in the middle or, you know, you're an average worker that somehow you have to be treated by a different set of standards. They need to negotiate a good deal and one that is good for the workers. And if they don't, then we'll have a strike. I don't want to strike, but, you know, we, we need people to be reasonable um, in the auto industry and to understand that their livelihood and their, their success, those who are at the top, is due to the workers. Um, and we're going to stop taking workers for granted in this country. Uh, and so, uh, again, I, we'll see how this all plays out. Uh, you know, I know that people are working behind the scenes trying to find ways to avoid a strike, and I hope we can do that. Representative McGovern, I'd like to circle back to uh, the politics and national politics for the last few moments we have and ask you about the attention that will be given in this race to the vice presidential nominees, both for the Democrats, who will be Kamala Harris, and for the Republicans, it could be Marjorie Taylor Greene. I can't believe I'm saying that, but it seems true. But that said, I would appreciate your perspective on how Kamala Harris has handled her duties as vice president. There's kind of a sense, I think, in the country that she's kind of receded into the background. And and I'd appreciate your perspective. I mean, I don't agree with that assessment. I mean, I, maybe because I, I see her, you know... <laughs> working with Congress and, you know, and lobbying Congress and, you know, and, and constantly being the face of the administration in Congress. Look, you know, maybe, you know, this is a public relations issue, just like the president has one, in which you need to be more out front um, in the media, um, in everybody's face on social media. But I think she's been a great vice president, to be honest with you. And when people tell me they or they don't think she's been very good, and I ask them why, they really can't give me a reason why. Um, but, you know, yeah, 
look, I, I, the reality of politics today is you not only have to be a good legislator um, and a good negotiator, you have to be good at, at PR, uh, and you have to be in the business of promoting yourself every single day. Uh, it's unfortunate, but that's it seems in this in this day and age of social media and all the other conspiracy theories that are going on and you know swirling around everybody. You know they need to do a better job. But I mean, make no mistake. I mean, she's been the point person on protecting uh, women's reproductive rights. I mean, she has been out front. She has been traveling all across the country. She's been involved in helping. You know, uh, you know, uh, elect people at the state legislative level. You know, who are you know, who will protect those rights. I mean, it's just one example. Uh, but I have, I have just seen her in a million different, you know, circumstances. And, and I'm, 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 I continue, I'm, I'm continuously impressed uh, by her. Well, Representative McGovern, we play as your walk-up music, Our House. It's a very, very fine house. And I would appreciate it if you would leave us with a word of optimism since I think I've depressed all of our listeners so far today. You've depressed today. me. <laughs> what's, what's, the, what's the light at the end of this tunnel? You know, the people of this country are going to save this country. I really believe that. Uh, and I'm noticing, and you may be noticing too, with the people who call in and the people that you encounter every day, that there seems to be this kind of renewed sense of focus and activism. And I, I really believe that, uh, you know, people care about things like our democracy. I, I really do. And I'm, you know, I, and I'm, you know, I just got my coffee this morning at, at Dunkin' Donuts and, uh, in Worcester. And, you know, and this guy who, uh, you know, I've seen many, many years getting my coffee every morning, who I always thought was pretty conservative, just said to me, uh, yeah, keep fighting, keep fighting. And, uh, that to me is an indication that uh, the people are getting this. Uh, so I'm, I, I believe in the American people. I really do. And I, I think people are going to rise to the occasion uh, and they are going to stop the erosion of our democracy and they're going to continue to fight for policies that are good for everybody uh, and policies that respect people's civil and human rights. So I, so I, people should not despair. Uh, this is a challenging time. This is a time to get up off the couch and to fight. And that's what I'm doing when I go back to Washington on, on Monday. Uh, but, you know, we, we have to fight in every single forum uh, that is available to us. It's time, time to make the donuts. <laughs> We're going to leave it there. Congressman Jim McGovern, thank you so much for your time and your insight, your leadership, your expertise, and your representation. All the best, everybody. Be safe. Bye. She was the young American Standing right through the picture window She finds a slinky vagabond Because as he passes a bullet in my sting Hitting for bitch, taking the thing But the freak and the stifle for nothing This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg the Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Business West. The vital business news in Western Mass is in Business West. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP.
Local farms are the lifeblood of our valley, and boy, have they had a tough year. At Northeast Solar, we feel a deep connection to farms. Sustainable agriculture needs sustainable energy, and sustainable energy is our mission. Energy is often the single highest cost for a working farm. By reducing those costs with solar energy, farms can sustain their business, which helps them sustain our communities. Support our local farms. Learn more about Northeast Solar's work with local farms at northeast-solar.com farms. A Northampton man contends with his slow passage into blindness. What's that like? Andrew Leland's new book, The Country of the Blind, is part memoir, part historical and cultural investigation. Leland's determined not to merely survive the transition, but to revel in that which makes blindness enlightening, accepting uncertainty, connecting with others across differences. Warm and funny, The Country of the Blind is an exhilarating tour of a way of being most of us have never paused to consider. Pick up The Country of the Blind at Northampton's independent bookstore, Broadside Bookshop. A little bit of hammering and a little bit of humoring. Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford. Home improvement ideas and advice. Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford. Sundays at noon, 101.5-1400 WHMP. Jay Burnham here, voice of the Massachusetts Minutemen. Touchdown, Massachusetts! I just wanted to let you know that all of the UMass football action can be heard right here on our new flagship home for Massachusetts football. It's WHMP. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. The front page of today's Daily Hampshire Gazette, big slate of ballot questions certified. That's the top of the fold headline. And then to the right, the headline is Dateline East Hampton La Chapelle won't seek re-election next term, fulfilling a promise she made when she elected in 2018. Mayor, that's the mayor of East Hampton, will leave at the end of her term in 2025. The big slate of ballot questions, it's very important. Let me share with you a couple of sentences from the Statehouse News Service story. The road to the November 2024 ballot continues for the most closely watched initiative petitions dealing with the role of the MCAS test as a graduation requirement, which obviously is something we've talked about on the show a lot with Max Page and other leadership from the Massachusetts Teachers Association. The story goes on to note the rights and benefits for drivers on app-based platforms, rent control, voter identification, and the auditor's ability to audit the state legislature. Attorney General Andrea Campbell's office said yesterday it had certified almost all of the 42 potential ballot questions, which proposed 38 laws that could be decided in the 2024 ballot and for constitutional amendments. So we are going to have well, Buzz, we're going to have lots to talk about because this ballot is going to present all sorts of questions. It's really going to be very interesting. interesting but I, I, uh, I want people to remember there's a difference between a referendum and a plebiscite. A referendum comes from the legislature. What do you people think about this, voters, as opposed to bubbling up from um, the voters themselves and putting something on the ballot? It's going to be an interesting election cycle. Yeah, I should mention, I should clarify that the question about uh, workplace issues include uh, drivers uh, who work for uh, Uber and Lyft. So that's going to be a big issue as well. But 40-something is, issues on the ballot, we're going we're gonna to look a lot like California. Oh, we're going to look a lot like Fulton County trying a case. Well, a lot of people in the room. Let's just spend one minute, if we might, on the story. La Chapelle, Mayor uh, Nicole La Chapelle, won't seek re-election next, next term. 
the first sentence saying that the city operates best with fresh leaders who bring new ideas. Mayor Nicole Ashton-Hippel announced Tuesday that she will step aside when her term ends in 2025. I think that's really interesting, very forward-looking. It is the keeping of a term-limit campaign promise, which I think uh, history shows are often ignored. But here she is saying, I said I was going to do it. I'm going to do it. I think it was a good. I thought it was a good idea then. And I think it's a good idea now. Your thoughts, Buzz? Well, my thoughts are I'm glad it's not a result of the pressure that she's been experiencing over the school committee issues and the superintendency there in East Hampton. Uh, I, I'm glad that what she's doing is keeping a promise that she made when she was first elected. Yeah, Kudos to her. I, th I think also it's true that uh, mayors, mayors, and we think we mentioned this on the show recently, mayors have shelf lives. Um, you, every decision you make aggravates somebody, and after a while, the aggravation quota or quotient just gets really high, and it's not the kind of joy that it was at some point. It, it's a lot like being a coach, but you're making me uncomfortable, Bill, because seated to my left is a mayor. Well, well, yeah, there is indeed a mayor. We have the mayor of Northampton here who we are going to be talking to in just a few moments. Stay with us. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The excessive heat is leading to early dismissals. Some schools yesterday let the students out early, and there were some cancellations today as well. Cooling centers are also open today in Northampton. The Division of Community Care Community Room is open, as well as Forbes Library, Mana Community Center, and the Lilly Library. East Hampton Mayor Nicola Chappelle is not planning to seek re-election. La Chapelle's term ends in 2025, and the mayor says that the city operates best with fresh leaders who bring fresh ideas. La Chapelle said she planned to step down after eight years when she first ran for office. Three jurors have been chosen to serve on the fourth murder trial of Kara Rantella. Rantella is accused of killing her wife, Anna-Marie Cochran Rantella, at their Granby home in 2010. Jurors deadlocked in the first two trials but found Rantella guilty at the third trial. She was sentenced to life in prison without parole. The Supreme Judicial Court overturned that verdict and sent the case back for a new trial. Juror selection will continue in Hampshire Superior Court today. The Attorney General's Office has certified 34 ballot questions for the 2024 November election. One question would grant municipalities new options for tenant protection, including the ability to impose rent control. Other ballot questions include removing the MCAS graduation requirement, bringing up minimum wage for tip workers so they could earn the same as general workers, and pausing the gas tax if gasoline prices go above a certain amount. Ballot questions only become certified if they're in the correct form, cannot be the same or virtually the same as anything brought before voters in the previous two statewide elections, among other requirements. Sunshine this morning, partly sunny this afternoon. There's a slight chance of a shower this afternoon as well. It's hot and a high of 90 to 94. Scattered showers and thunderstorms possible this evening, an overnight low of 66 to 72. Mostly cloudy tomorrow afternoon, showers and a high of 84 to 88. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. Here comes the money. You could be one word away from $1,000. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Listen each weekday for the $1,000 keyword at around 815, 1215, and 415. When you hear the keyword, just go to WHMP.com and enter it for a shot at $1,000. You have until midnight to enter the keyword of the day. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Complete rules and details on WHMP.com. Buy a mattress online? 
There are at least a hundred websites that'll ship you a mattress rolled up like a burrito and stuffed in a box. Wait a minute. You and your mattress will spend seven or eight intimate hours together every night for years. Don't you need more than an online video and some questionable reviews to know what it actually feels like? At Talon Furniture, we mostly sell therapeutic mattresses, not Tempur-Pedic. Don't want to mislead you. Therapeutic. Made in Brockton by fellow Red Sox fans. You like eating local? Try sleeping local. Therapeutic mattresses are clean. No toxic off-gassing. Come to Talon and lay down on a Therapeutic. See what it feels like. You can have all the time you need. And we don't roll it up like a burrito, stuff it in a box, and cram it in your car. You won't have to wrestle it through the kitchen or up the stairs. We actually deliver your new mattress and set it up. Talon Furniture, a real store just down the hill from Amherst College. Does your partner threaten or isolate you? Do they control where you go, who you talk to, or what choices you make? Are you afraid of what they might do? You have the right to a healthy and safe relationship. If you're experiencing abuse, emotional, verbal, physical, Safe Passage is here for you. It's all free and completely confidential. Call our helpline to explore your options and plan for safety. That's 413-586-5066, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Or visit safepass.org today. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. We are joined in the studio by the mayor of Northampton, Jean Louise Shera, and Northampton's chief of uh, health and human services, services, Meredith O'Leary, and Kristen Rhodes, who is the director of the Department of Community Care. And they are here today because yesterday afternoon I received a press release from the office of the mayor. So since it was from you, mayor, why don't you share with our listeners who have not yet heard about it what it said? You don't have to read it, actually. Just tell us about it. Yes. Well, good morning. First of all, I am thrilled to be here with Commissioner O'Leary and Director Rhodes to talk about the Division of Community Care. We are um, opening, we are hosting an open house tomorrow for the community space for the Division of Community Care um, at one Roundhouse Plaza. So um, to kind of give a little bit of background or bring everyone back to how we got here, um, in June of 2020, uh, former Mayor David Narkowitz and I created and presented the mission and structure for what became the Northampton Policing Review Commission to the city council, and then we jointly appointed the members of that commission. In the mission to the, to the commission, um, we directed them to explore transitioning 911 calls for mental health, houselessness, substance abuse disorder, and other non-criminal services um, to civilian responders and or social service agencies. So that was one of the missions. And we should note there, uh, because much credit to former Mayor David Narkowitz, who, when it came to the question of dispatch, which I think people would roll their eyes and uh, eyes glaze over and people say, who cares? And the answer is everyone cares, should care, because it matters a lot. In Northampton, calls to 911 actually do not go directly to the police department. They go to a civilian dispatch department, and that means that we have the structure in place to actually implement alternatives to policing in Northampton, an obstacle Northampton does not face, unlike other communities. That's an excellent point. Yes, we have a professional dispatch center, um, which dispatches all emergency calls. Um, so from the from that sort of that mission for the policing review commission, 
Um, their recommendation in their final report, which was March 2021, was to create a Department of Community Care. And they advocated for it to be under the health department, which had never been done before, or what was being explored elsewhere wasn't under health. Um, so it's taken a lot to get to where we are in just two and a half years, including restructuring the health department to now the Department of Health and Human Services under the remarkable leadership of Commissioner O'Leary. Um, and it's taken a huge amount of work, and I'm just profoundly grateful and very proud of everything that has brought us to this day. It's, it's really a huge milestone that we've reached, and, um, and I'm very proud that we have reached it having built a very strong foundation and training program for the Division of Community Care. And so we really hope that people come out tomorrow to the open house and get to know the responders and get to understand um, what the Division of Community Care does and, um, and just meet uh, the remarkable people that have made this happen. And I'm just incredibly grateful for their leadership. Well, given what you've just said, Mayor, why don't we turn to uh, Kristen Rose, who is the Director of the Department of Community Care for the City of Northampton, which is part of uh, Health and Human Services. And we have the Director here of the Department as well. But I'd like to talk about uh, DCC, the Department of Community Care itself for a moment. Tell us what it will do, what its staffing is, and what will happen beginning now that it is being rolled into or rolled out as part of the response of the city of Northampton. Uh, Kristen Rhodes, tell us. Yes, good morning. Um, so the Division of Community Care has um, eight community responders. Um, we will be taking calls both to our, um, our phone line, which is 877-DCC-0413. We will also receive calls um, via text or folks can email to get our services as well. Um, we have a community space located at One Roundhouse Plaza, which has been set up as a living room model. Um, so what that means is we were really careful thinking about um, the, the different sensory environments that are there. We're very careful about um, when folks walk in, how the community responders will be greeting them. So they really can expect the same thing every time they come into the space. Folks are welcome to come in really for anything they feel like they need support around. Um, we have a great connection to local community agencies that provide resources. And our job is really to identify the underlying needs folks are experiencing in their difficult situation and then connect them to the resources not just by handing them a piece of paper that says what the resource is but to sit with them and really have conversations with them and the resource to make sure it's a right match that the resource has the capacity to do the work going forward and then we're also going to be maintaining a relationship with those individuals who want to to make sure that resource is working out for them so that if they're feeling like they need something different or it isn't the right match um, they don't have to get to that same point point of feeling really overwhelmed by a situation before they're receiving support. We're jumping in right then and trying to come up with additional solutions with them um, to help meet their needs. Um, we have eight community responders, so we'll have a community responder um, plus our program coordinator and a public health nurse in our community space. And then we'll have mobile community responders as well. So those responders will be going out to folks in the community to provide those same services we're providing in the community space, but for folks who are either at their home or out in the general community who may not want to come into the space. Tell us how the responders are going to respond. A call comes in to 911. It goes to dispatch. Dispatch says or concludes a police officer is not necessary here. What happens then? 
Sure. So we're doing our initial launch right now. And so like I said, um, folks can call us or walk in and that will stay true through all of our different phases of launch. Um, But right now, if dispatch receives a call, they're connecting to us directly through our DCC line. And they're letting us know about the situation and we're sending a mobile team out to meet with those folks in the community. Has there been a protocol developed on when a responder from the Department of Community Care or responders from the Department of Community Care will go to a situation when there will not be a police officer and or when there will be police backup? I would appreciate knowing more about how it's actually going to function. Yeah, right now the calls we're taking um, will be primarily around um, conflict resolution, um, folks having mental health difficulties, folks with um, something having to do with substance use, and those are primarily the calls that we're taking. Um, We will often be responding to the scene, I think, where um, police or EMS may either also be there or they might come after. And we've really been having a lot of conversations internally around what that looks like. So if we arrive to the scene second, how we would check in and provide supports um, for the, you know, the right calls for us in the same way with PD when they arrive, how they would check in with us to make sure we're supporting each other and um, knowing what's going on because communication is key in this situation to make sure we're not duplicating services, but we're each providing the right services for our department. Our departments or divisions. And if I can, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, please do, Commissioner. Please, please, yes. Hi, thank you for having us here as well. Uh, And if I can just add to this, we are. we are phasing in our operations as we go. Right now is phase one, and we're taking the calls, like Kristen said, either through our phone line, text, or email. We need to really think about what that protocol looks like when we integrate dispatch into our next phase of systems. So... We don't know how long phase one is going to, you know, how long that's going to be. We imagine for at least six months we're really going to be kind of honing in on what types of services we're providing and speaking with dispatch on how we're going to integrate them and setting the policies up on when to call police in, when to call DCC in. There is still a lot of nuances that need to be worked out when it comes to policies and And that was my uh, question, Commissioner Meredith O'Leary, which is, I don't know whether to direct this to Director Rose or to you, but um, I know that if, uh, hey, my neighbor is stealing flowers from my garden is one thing that we would have your dispute resolution responders respond to. But how about a tricycle was stolen from my garage? Uh, the garage door was open. Do, you, do we need an armed police officer to investigate that theft, or is it one of those eight responders you're training? Yeah, so in that situation, a responder could go out and support someone if they wanted to file a police report. So we, you know, there are many situations where I think we'll be working with the person to understand what they would like to do in a situation. And then if they need support to do that, provide that level of support. Um, When it is a violent crime or something with a weapon or someone is being unsafe, that would not go to the DCC. Um, But otherwise, we are able to support in those situations and help navigate. Community care. Yeah, correct. So who who makes the call? Uh, That's a bad question. But who makes the decision? Uh, Is it dispatch that says, yes, we need a police officer or no, we don't need a police officer or yes, we want DCC, but we'd like a police backup? I mean, is it a hybrid model of police plus or a primary alternative civilian response? That's what I'm trying to get to. 
So again, this is um, our operation is going to be phased in, and we're only in phase one where we're receiving calls through the through line through text and through email. We need to figure those out internally on how we move forward and it'll be ultimately dispatch that will make the decisions on who gets the phone call. And it could be just DC or just police EMS or hybrid of both depending on the situation. So, you know, the DCC is an additional resource to the city of Northampton. We're not calling ourselves an alternative to policing. That is not who we are. We're providing a whole nother layer of support to really people who have um, different needs, might be in different moments in their life or in crisis at that time. We're not about investigation. We're not about enforcement. Actually, that's counterintuitive of who we are and the mission that we stand for. So there's a lot of conversations that still have to be had. We want to make sure that we're doing our due diligence and process and that we're doing this in the right way so we protect our team and we protect the people that we serve. You mentioned there are eight or nine now trained staff members of the Department of Community Care. From any one of our three distinguished guests here in the studio, I'd like to know what the training is, who the folks are. I'm not asking for their names, but... Uh, what, what's their training? What's their background? What were you looking for in hiring them? That sort of information. Who can help us in that? Uh, well, well, I'll, well, I'll start, and then I'm going to okay. give it to Kristen. Okay. Meredith O'Leary? Yeah. This was a carefully curated team, starting with Kristen Rhodes, the director of the division. Um, you know, Kristen comes with a background in education and human services and developing programs for adults and for adolescents. So having the leadership with a certain skill set was super important to us. And then we have a coordinator that has a social work background. Background. So putting those two pieces in place and having them hired and on the team to help us then curate our, our re, uh, community responders were super important. And this team of community responders is so diverse and come from all different backgrounds, whether it's culture, religion, um, trauma, skills, education. It is a perfect blend that really represents the fabric of the people that we're going to serve. So now I'm going to hand over the mic to Kristen so she can kind of add a little bit to that. Who is the director of the Department of Community Care? Kristen? Yes, thank you. Um, you know, Meredith really hit it for me. I think that when we were thinking about our staff, um, we wanted to make sure that we were forming a team where we could allow for anyone coming in to find a responder that they could really connect with in some way. And so we really wanted to have folks with a diverse background, educational background. Um, we have a lot of folks with lived experience of the people we are providing services for, and that was really important to us in the work because we wanted to make sure that folks just didn't have the training and the education, but they also really understood what the people they were serving were going through. And um, our team has gone through training starting June 21st. They were in training all summer um, around conflict resolution, um, about our specialized populations that we're going to be serving, and really about what it's going to mean in Northampton to be a community responder. There are other community response services throughout the country, but we really keyed in on what we need to provide the service in Northampton. And we're the only program that I know of in the country that is public health-led first response. Every other program is either in a police department, freestanding. We are um, within the health department, and it's, you know... It's, 
it's been created with a public health lens because our ultimate goal is to change outcomes for people. We are speaking with the mayor of Northampton, Jean Louis Scherer, and Health and Human Services Commissioner Meredith O'Leary and Division of Community Care Director Kristen Rhodes. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'm going to ask the mayor, does this actually fulfill the promises made by the Policing Commission? We'll be right back. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday local burgers and fries? Correct. They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Local burgers and fries on the corner in Northampton on the main Dragon Keen plus local burgie burgers and barbecue in Williamsburg. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at WHMP.com. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Rutabagas, sweet potatoes, turnips, and leeks. Local produce is rooting its way to the co-op every day. At the co-op meat counter, try coffee-rubbed hanger steak, a delicious mix of sweet and bold heat. New recipe, and you need just a pinch of this herb or that spice? Get just the right amount in the co-op's bulk department. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. If we didn't go for this project, the cost to repair the schools is estimated at 80 million, and we don't get help with that. So this vote is the absolutely the smartest financial choice, and it's getting a building that we desperately need for our educators and for our students. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP, news, information, and the arts. In 2022, Whole Children moved its campus to Northampton. Continuing the programming we've offered since 2004 for children and teens of all abilities, including developmental and intellectual disabilities, as well as those with autism. After school and Saturday classes for this session run from October 3rd to December 9th. Take a look at the classes we have. Yoga, chorus, cooking, dance movement, and video game. Come take a tour. Wholechildren.org. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Northampton Mayor Gina Louise Shera and Health and Human Services Commissioner Meredith O'Leary and the Division of Community Care Director Kristen Rhodes. Mayor, there was a long report. Some pieces of it have not been focused on, but the report from the police commission uh, or the Commission on Policing in Northampton made a number of recommendations. What I would like to know is whether or not this plan and what is being rolled out now by the uh, Division of Community Care, whether this addresses those highlights, or the most important points of those recommendations from the uh, Commission on Policing. So the under the immediate recommendations of that were in the report from the Northampton Policing Review Commission, the, this primary sort of main recommendation was to create what they call the Department of Community Care. Um, and from there, there's sort of different, um, different other things that the commission asked to be looked at. And so, but under the immediate recommendations, I do think what we've created with the Division of Community Care and putting it under public health, which as Commissioner O'Leary was just saying, which 
was is really like quite groundbreaking um, fulfills this this main recommendation that um, that the NPRC uh, asked for. And also, as Commissioner O'Leary was saying, we're in phase one, right? So as we are phasing in this division and creating this response, we will be looking at the other components that, that were asked for and see what is possible and, and what works. And one of the things that I'm really um, proud of is the, the strong collaboration that DCC has with our, the rest of public safety. So um, there have been great meetings that they've been having and talking things through. And I feel like it's a really strong partnership with public safety to, um, to be able to figure out where those lines were and how we're going to best and most safely implement this division. Does dispatch, is that part of public safety? Yes. Okay. And I would like to know, Buzz raised this question during the break, about the hours when the Department of Community Care is functioning. And, well, who can who can share that information sure, with us? Sure, I can answer that. Kristen. Um, so our community space is open from on Monday through Friday from 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Our community responders are available Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. What about calls that come into dispatch for needs during the, the night and the early morning hours? Because that's when police get dispatched, I would think, more frequently. So, yes, um, there's a couple pieces to that. First, the, the reason we chose our initial hours during those days and times is because we really wanted to develop really strong relationships with the other social service agencies that we are going to be um, providing referrals for and doing those what we call warm handoffs too. And because those are the hours when they're open, we felt that for our initial launch, it made the most sense to be open simultaneously so we can really build strong relationships with them so that when we're open off hours and we're having to make referrals when we're not um, simultaneously there, we already have that understanding and relationship and really deep understanding of the work that they're doing and how we can refer to those programs. Um, we also are able to respond the following day. So if there's a situation that occurred in the evening, we will still receive information about that the next morning. And we're able to do that follow-up and preventative work with those individuals going forward. Just so I'm clear, for this initial stage, when there are calls to 911 after four, between 4.30 in the afternoon and 8 o'clock the next morning, those will be responded to, well, dispatch will have as its resource the police department, but not DCC. Is that right? And fire rescue as well. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Who often responds because if you right. know, um, they, they provide EMS services. Right. Okay. That's 100% correct. Okay. And when is it that you think, how long is this first stage? When will there be responders available and obviously trained to go to calls initially and or with or without the police? So uh, we're looking at that closely. We don't want to put the uh, cart in front of the horse, but we have a large set of data of uh, dispatch reports on the types of calls, um, who's calling, when they're calling, and we're trying to assess when the needs are the greatest. And from the initial review, we have learned that most of the calls are, you know, that that we would be responding to come from a third-party caller that is concerned about someone on the streets during the day. So that's when we were thinking about our hours of operation initially. We chose these hours. 
Are we hoping at some point to be operational 24-7? We do. But first, we want to make sure that what we're doing, we're doing it really, really well. And again, it's not about reducing the number of calls to police. It's about changing outcomes. So once we get our footing and we get a larger team, we'll, we'll provide more services. Our hours will change. But again, I can't answer definitively you know, on a time chart what that looks like. Well, Meredith O'Leary, I really appreciate the information. I appreciate the straightforward answer. Mayor, you're having a party. You're having an open house. Want to, want to invite everyone again? Sure. I will gladly invite everyone again. Um, so the open house is tomorrow, September 8th, and it is at one Roundhouse Plaza. So this is in the community space for the Division of Community Care. And um, we, someone will be there at 10 a.m., and we would love everyone to come. and 10 o'clock till when? 10 o'clock until 2 p.m., um, there's going to be pizza and ice cream, so we would love everyone to come. Um, also, it's really hot today, and we have cooling centers open, so if anyone needs them, please come. Um, you can come to one Roundhouse Plaza to be cool off or uh, other locations. Thank you all three very much. Thank you, Thank you very much for having talk. us. Using WIC is easier than ever. Now you can use the WIC card instead of checks for your food purchases. WIC is a free nutrition program that helps working families stretch their food budget and make healthy choices. WIC helps families learn to shop for nutritious foods and offers resources like online nutrition education and an app to make shopping easier. Visit us online at mass.gov WIC to find out if you qualify. This message is brought to you by the Massachusetts Department of Public Health's WIC Nutrition Program. Would you like a better world? It's as easy as grabbing a hammer and building a home. Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity builds strength, stability, and self-reliance through affordable home ownership in Hampshire and Franklin County. It's not a handout, it's a hand up. Habitat homes are built with donations of material, land, and services. Future homeowners and volunteers create a partnership with Habitat for Humanity to build a home, strengthen our neighborhoods, and create a legacy for our community. Help transform the world. Volunteer and support Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity. PVHabitat.org. WHMP Northampton and WRSMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to the show. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And Bill, there is uh, really important news for a lot of people who are in the Hilltown. There has been a move afoot uh, uh, in the town in which I live, uh, as well as a lot of the surrounding towns, to stop Eversource from continuing to use Roundup. They're about to uh, do a weed control project um, in, uh, for their, um, what do you call those tall stanchions, that the, the big uh, power thing, power towers, whatever those things are called. And uh, they, so there's a spraying initiative by... Uh, by the, the, uh, by the Eversource. And right now we just learned that Bayer, which purchased Monsanto and owns Roundup Division, it has been losing money because of uh, this uncertainty uh, that's caused by so many lawsuits where people claim that their cancer was caused by Roundup. So Bayer has uh, found that it, Bayer, B-A-Y-E-R, it's a German company like the Aspirin, has found that they've lost two and a half billion euros because of this fallout caused by this uh, constant barrage of litigation. And so they are cutting down on the division and uh, they are on the precipice of 
ceasing to use it for agricultural purposes, to use Roundup for agricultural purposes. People are being asked to write to Bayer and to write to Monsanto, the division which Bayer owns, and to write to their select boards and say that they do not want Roundup sprayed in their community um, any longer. Um, it, it seems like they're right on the precipice of deciding to stop that dreadful practice of killing weeds with this, with Roundup. Weed whackers do just fine. I just wanted to lead with that and urge people to make those, uh, those uh, connections with the company and with your local governance before we turn to Brian Adams, who you've got a librarian, as my daughter used to call them, in the studio. We do, and if we're talking about environmental issues, what better way to present environmental issues uh, to children than by reading them stories about the earth, about nature? Did about I say your name was Brian Adams when I led? You did. It's Brian Adams. Yeah. Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and who better to talk about the importance of reading to children about science and nature uh, than our very own Forbes children's librarian, the head of children's and youth adult services, Sarah Johnson. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so uh, much for having today. me. Um, we all know how important reading is for kids. Uh, kids are back at school now. They'll hopefully be reading in school. Um, but reading to children about science and nature, it's so important for so many reasons. You've brought a whole bunch of books, uh, which is very exciting. Now, we are on the radio, so it's going to be a little challenging here. But can you begin by telling us about some of the, your, I think, your favorite books that you have brought with you today? Sure. Thank you so much. Um, the first one I wanted to share is a book that I think would be great to read with a child who is interested about spiders or maybe even has a fear of spiders. It's called Jumper, A Day in the Life of a Backyard Jumping Spider. And the pictures and words are by Jessica Lanan. And um, it uses questions to invite the reader to imagine what the world would feel and look like if you were a spider. And this is just a common backyard spider. Um, but it does a beautiful job of um, really um, using every element of the book to tell the story. Um, the one element that my daughter and I discovered together while we read this is the case cover, which is the cover that's underneath the jacket if you lift it, lift it up, actually has a face of a spider hiding under it. And it uses these beautiful gatefolds to give you an idea of what the world would look like if you were able to see out of a spider's four pairs of eyes. So they have almost a 360 degree visual field um, out of their eight eyes. And this book actually gives ch children a chance to imagine what that might be like. I, I wish our listeners were in the studio right now. <laughs> Sarah has the book, uh, and she's opening the pages as children, librarians are wont to do. And it's just a really amazing book. Sarah, one of my favorite all-time books was Charlotte's Web. Um, and it's not, is it science and nature? sort of more a barnyard, barnyard thing. But um, I now... If there's, if I'm lying in bed at night and I turn on the light because there's a spider crawling on me and I scream, but I still can't kill <laughs> the spider. Um, books really give us that empathy about the other, non-human other, um, that in ways that you know that you just don't get any anywhere else. 
So Jumper is the first one. What, are, what other books yes. do you have? Um, this is a book that I shared in story time recently. I lead a weekly preschool story time, and it's called Rise to the Sky, How the World's Tallest Trees Grow Up. And it's by Rebecca E. Hirsch, and the illustrations are by Mia Posada. And um, it really, for me, conveys want the wonder of how a seed that's as small as a speck of dirt can grow into a tree that's taller than the Statue of Liberty. Like, if you really stop and think about that, that's really amazing. And this book makes you feel um, how amazing that is. It uses cut paper illustrations that I think really show, give the texture of tree bark. Um, and one really nice feature about the book, too, is it forces you to turn the book so that you can actually experience the height of a tree so that halfway through the book, you turn it vertically and it really emphasizes the height of trees. And so in story time, you know, we, the kids and I, we were pretending that our feet were roots and we were drinking the water up through our bodies, our trunks, our arms were the branches and then, then the water was flowing out to the leaves on our fingertips and I think both this book and Jumper really put a kid into the role of what the subject of the book is about. They can feel it. What age are the kids that those books are targeting? I think any. I think both of these could work well for ages. I'd say three to nine. Yeah. Up, up, up uh, to the sky. The <laughs> the the, uh, sign, the 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 words read. Um, how do you choose? I mean, there are a million books out there, right? Yes. And the library is only so big, although the Children's Library is a magical place. And those of you that have never been to Forbes Children's Library, you have got to get down there. It's like a destination site for kids, not just wonderful books and wonderful people reading the books, but um, a fish and, uh, and yes. puppets and all sorts of things. Sarah Johnson, uh, Children's Library and Forbes, how do you choose which books to, to carry? So we have a good sense of what books we already have in the collection. We read, um, so we're looking for books that are going to fill some gaps in the collection. Um, we're lucky to have such a large collection at Forbes. Not a lot of children's libraries have quite as many books as we do. Um, we read scholarly journals like Kirkus, Library Journal, Publishers Weekly. They have reviewers read all the books before they're published. And so we read their reviews. If a book's getting a lot of starred reviews, we're certainly going to notice it and read more about it and maybe buy it for the collection. Um, I'm looking at diversity of voices and opinions. Um, we want our collection to provide windows, mirrors, and sliding glass doors. It's a concept that Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop um, created where books, it's sort of like what you were talking about before with books giving you empathy. A book can be a mirror. It can reflect back your own lived experiences. It can be a window into somebody else's experiences. Or it can be a sliding glass door where it's so immersive you feel like you're transported into a different place. And that's kind of the magic of libraries for me and what we're looking to build with our collection. There are certainly magical uh, places. Um, books and libraries have been in the forefront of the political news lately. Uh, down in Florida, books are being banned in other states as well for their, for their content. Uh, one, your feelings about banned books, and what is the policy at Forbes about um, perhaps controversial books, even controversial children's books, right? Mm -hmm. So we believe in free and open access to information as a public library. And we have a collection development policy that, if you're interested, you can go on our website, and it's published there. 
Um, we're trying to purchase books that are factual, that prevent, present a diversity of views um, and are well-reviewed. Um, sometimes they'll have like a local interest that'll make us want to have a, a book. Um, but we um, really subscribe to free and open access to information. One of the books that I believe was banned a while back was the Lorax uh, in Oregon, I think. So anti-loggers, I'm not anti-loggers, loggers, and the, lo the forest industry was really concerned about the image that the Lorax was, was portraying. For those of you that don't know, it's a, um, Lorax is written by Dr. Seuss, 1971, which is quite a, a, um, a while ago. And it's really one of my favorite books, but it's pretty apocalyptic. You know, it's, uh, um, it's, you know, as much as I love it, it's like, oh my golly, this is really, really gloom and doom. And uh, uh, let me read one little uh, section. Um, uh, the, the, the Lorax uh, is, is sort of the, the, the one trying to protect the trees here. Um, but let me read this. I am the Lorax. He coughed and he whiffed. He sneezed and he snuffled. He snargled. He sniffed. Once more, he cried with a cruffyless croak. Once there, you're making such smogulous smoke. My poor swami swamps, why they can't sing a note. And, and it goes on in this, you know, the world is, is, really, is really devastated. And then at the end, there's one truffula tree seed left. Just one. You know, it's, it's, the area is a, is a wasteland. And it's given to a single child to save the world. So I'm thinking, you know, I love this book. I think, oh, this is the greatest book ever. And then I'm, I reread it. Uh, for this interview, I'm like, oh my golly, it's after the apocalypse, one seed is left, is given to one child. Um, how, there's this fine line between promoting activism uh, and hope and despair, and I'm, and particularly in this day and age of climate change, and you know, it's hot out there today, mm. it's hot. Uh, Books about that, that, that really sort of promote activism, how do you, and, and getting away from the apocalypse into hope, your thoughts about that? I think a lot of the books that, you know, I brought for today even, um, they talk about very adult topics, um, scary themes, um, and apocalyptic potential futures, but they also talk about steps that people can take both individually and collectively to mitigate that and that there is hope. Um, and I think, um, you know, children and teens are rightfully very concerned about the state of our world and the planet that they're inheriting. Um, and I think this summer, as you said, it was, it's been particularly disconcerting with the wildfire smoke that's blown into our region and the flooding of our farms. And so, you know, we at the library, we try to provide free access to books so that kids can like see a path forward. And um, we also just always try to have presenters um, to engage with kids. So we have Massachusetts Audubon coming um, September 30th to talk about climate change and turtles um, and bring a live box turtle for kids to meet. Um, we have partnered with the Brookline Birding Club to create little um, backpacks filled with binoculars and birding books for kids. I think if we can um, encourage children's sense of wonder and, and innate love of animals and the environment, then we can help them grow into activists and um, people who want to fight back against climate change. So, uh, Sarah Johnson, uh, not all of our listeners live in Northampton. There is a CW Mars, the, the Central and Western Massachusetts Regional Library sharing system. Um, 
Can people get access to children's books by going online and ordering them from Forbes, even if they don't live here in Northampton? I'm so glad you asked that. Yeah, we're very lucky. CW Mars um, has over 100 libraries in it, and we all share our resources. So, And then something that a lot of people don't know about is even if you go in our catalog and you don't see the book you want in CW Mars, we also have access to something called the Commonwealth Catalog, and that will give us access to Boston Public Library's books. And um, so a librarian can help you with that the first time. The first time it's a little tricky, but if you have a Forbes library card or a Jones library, any CW Mars card, um, placing a hold from a, for a CW Mars book is really easy. We're talking with Sarah Johnson. Sarah is the children's librarian, head of children's and youth adult services at Forbes Library in Northampton. Uh, when we come back, we want to talk about how you got into this uh, and uh, um, read perhaps or, or share with us some of the other books, huge stack of books. <laughs> that you brought with us today, so stick with us. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. In a world of chaos, Armstrong and Getty Show cuts through the fake news of the day and gets straight to the common sense heart of the burning issues listeners really care about. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Armstrong and Getty. Be informed and involved. Listen to Armstrong and Getty weekdays from 6 to 9 p.m. right here on 101.5 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. You love your car. We all do. It's part of our DNA. If your vehicle gets into an accident, the people to turn to are the collision experts at Fort Hill Collision Services in Amherst. Fort Hill lets you leave your concerns at the door. They'll fix your vehicle to better than factory standards and deal with your insurance company from start to finish. Fort Hill is locally owned and operated. They're part of the community, and they guarantee the work they do every time. Trust Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9, Amherst, and online at forthillcs.com. Buy a mattress online? There are at least 100 websites that'll ship you a mattress rolled up like a burrito and stuffed in a box. Wait a minute. You and your mattress will spend seven or eight intimate hours together every night for years. Don't you need more than an online video and some questionable reviews to know what it actually feels like? At Talon Furniture, we mostly sell therapeutic mattresses, not Tempur-Pedic. Don't want to mislead you. Therapeutic. Made in Brockton by fellow Red Sox fans. If you like eating local, try sleeping local. Therapeutic mattresses are clean, no toxic off-gassing. Come to Talon and lay down on a Therapeutic. See what it feels like. You can have all the time you need. And we don't roll it up like a burrito, stuff it in a box, and cram it in your car. You won't have to wrestle it through the kitchen or up the stairs. We actually deliver your new mattress and set it up. Talon Furniture, a real store just down the hill from Amherst College. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back. Brian Adams is uh, here with Forbes librarian Sarah Johnson talking about science and nature books. And, Bill, you had a question. You had reached, raised the issue, uh, Brian Adams, 
what about censorship that is going on across the country? And I would like to find out, if we could, from uh, Sarah Johnson from the Forbes Library, if someone comes in and complains about a book, says, take that off the shelf. What's the process? What happens? So a staff member would speak with the person and listen to their feelings about it. Um, they would have the option to file um, a written complaint, and then a group of librarians would meet and review the material and respond to the patron. And make a decision. Correct. Uh, good to know. And uh, I, again, it just alarms me what is going on in certain states with banning of books. I and mean, I just can't imagine that ever happening in in Northampton or Massachusetts or even New England, but it is happening out there. It's something we should all be really concerned with. Um, it's and it's particularly happening with kids' books. Yeah, yeah. It's and just, young adults. Yeah, it's novels it's, and the like. It is. It is absolutely stunning. And Representative uh, Lindsay Sabadoso was on the show, and she we were talking about this issue, and she said, "What is the obsession with genitalia for kids? I mean, if people are trans, if people are gay." What is the obsession with genitalia? And all know, we could do is raise our hands and say, I don't know. And I know banned books with just featuring animals, you know, exhibiting perhaps some same-sex attraction. I mean, it's really, it's really crazy. Uh, Sarah, it sounds to me like a really ideal job. I mean, if I had sort of, here's my top 10 jobs. Being a children's librarian is one of them in such a delightful place and welcoming place and um, uh, resourceful place as Forbes. How did you get into this? Uh, position, how long have you been there, and what's what's some of the greatest joys that you bring to the job? Yeah, you're right. It is, like, I think the best job you can have. I um, started out in book publishing. I um, worked in marketing for St. Martin's Press in New York City, and then I moved into editorial. Um, I love the craft of bookmaking. However, um, it wasn't a collaborative environment. You're kind of competing against your coworkers to get the best books, um, and you're always selling the books, um, presenting to sales teams and stuff. And what I love is the connection between a child and a book. And so um, I started working at Brooklyn Public Library as a speechwriter and a marketing writer for the president of Brooklyn Public Library, and then got my master's degree in library science and became a children's librarian. And I've been doing that for about 12 years now, and um, it's so hard to pick the highlights because I love so much about it, but I think it's so rewarding when a child um, is excited to come to the library and they're delighted with what they see there. We try to make it a really fun and welcoming environment, and um, when they're excited about story time and books and playing with our toys, um, it's awesome. It's just the best. Sarah, one thing that concerns me, um, and I bring this, brought this up to a lot of guests, is uh, how connected kids are to their screens. Uh, and it's not books that they're reading, uh, but you see little kids out there that are just fixated on, uh, on games. And again, there's nothing wrong, I think, with a little bit of that. But there's, there's just too much of that, in my um, curmudgeon opinion, going on. How do you get kids off of their devices, back into books and the wonderful uh, portrayal of uh, nature and environment, the empathy that it creates. I think that you should follow your child's lead. So if your kid is interested in a certain subject, I can practically guarantee it that there's going to be books on that. And from there, you can kind of get them into the library, have them choose books. They might need a little guidance if they're choosing books that they're not able to quite read yet. Maybe you read aloud with them at home. 
if the book is a little bit above their level. Um, but I think as long as you make reading fun, um, which is a very easy thing to do if you let the child tell you what they're interested in, then you can develop a lifelong love of reading. And I think there is some stigma still, unfortunately, around things like graphic novels or even chapter books that are, have a lot of illustrations. But if a kid is devouring them and wants more and more, um, my feeling is give those to them. And then naturally they may, um, in time, graduate to more text-heavy books. But I think just keeping it fun and exciting is the best way. We're running out of time, and you have this huge stack <laughs> of books here. Is there another one you'd like to share with us that's one of your particular favorites? Sure. Um, there, this is a middle-grade book. It's called Thirst, and it's by Varsha Bajaj. And it, the author was born in Mumbai, and that's where the novel takes place. Um, it deals with issues like poverty, climate change, caste inequalities. Um, the main character is named Minnie, and she lives in the poorest part of Mumbai. And she accidentally one night witnesses people part, who are part of the water mafia stealing clean water um, to resell. And she has to decide whether or not she's going to get involved in um, preventing that. Um, and, you know, her brother is in danger as part of this. Um, her mother is ill. Um, and she's studying for school while also working um, practically full-time, and she has to every day boil her water to clean it. Um, and some, some days there isn't water to boil because of climate change, because of corruption with the water mafia. Um, but despite all this, she's, she's just like this amazing character. You want to root for her. The setting is really vivid. It's exciting. Um, and I think the book you know, really brings to light that clean water um, is not something that everybody has. Um, in the author's note, she talks about how one in 10 people on earth without, live without basic access to clean water. Um, and so, you know, this is for ages, I'd say about eight to 12. And this is something that is like this immersive novel that's exciting and fun, but it also is talking about real-world issues that a lot of people face. It certainly sounds like a book I want to read. It's, a, it's, it's such adult uh, themes, hopefully hope and empowerment and yes. activism at the end. And that's called what again? Thirst uh -huh. by Varsha Bajaj. Uh -huh. And we are just about out of time. Can you quick give us about one more title sure. before we break? Um, you might, I imagine you might already be aware of Braiding Sweetgrass. There is a young adult version. Um, it's by Robin Wall Kimmerer. It's adapted by Monique Gray-Smith. Illustrations by Nicole Neidhart. Um, it, to me, this book is a book that can change your worldview. Um, she really focuses on the importance of having gratitude for what the earth provides um, and reciprocating. And um, I think a lot of the problems that the world has are due to us just taking and not giving back and not realizing the abundance that the earth already gives us. Um, and so to me, this is like a very inspirational, beautiful book. And um, I'm going to revisit it because <laughs> I think I can uh, use that inspiration every now and then. <laughs> very cool because it's such a powerful book for adults. And now there's a young adult yes. version as well. We've been talking with Sarah Johnson. Sarah is the children's librarian at Forbes and uh, really encouraging uh, all of us to read children's books, um, even if we don't have a child to read, too. And if we do have children, to really be reading 
uh, to our kids is so important for kids to grow up um, for cognitive development, for empathy, for learning to appreciate the other and the world around them. Sarah, thank you so much for being with us. And thank you for uh, we appreciate me. all of the great work. And anyone interested, go to Forbes. It's one, it's cool there. So on these hot days, it's actually one of the Northampton cooling centers. Uh, and Forbes is in the basement, which makes it even a little bit cooler, I think. And even when it's cool out, it is a cool place to go. So, And again, for folks not from Northampton, remember CW Mars. The catalog is right there. You just type in CW Mars and you could look for whatever children's books or other books are available, not just at Forbes, but throughout the library system here in central and western Massachusetts. Over 7 million titles at your fingertips. Thank you, Sarah Johnson, not just for being here, but for all you do. Thank you, Brian Adams, for introducing us to Sarah. We'll be right back. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The excessive heat is leading to early dismissals. Some schools yesterday let the students out early, and there were some cancellations today as well. Cooling centers are also open today in Northampton. The Division of Community Care Community Room is open, as well as Forbes Library, Mana Community Center, and the Lilly Library. East Hampton Mayor Nicola Chappelle is not planning to seek re-election. La Chapelle's term ends in 2025, and the mayor says that the city operates best with fresh leaders who bring fresh ideas. La Chapelle said she planned to step down after eight years when she first ran for office. Three jurors have been chosen to serve on the fourth murder trial of Kara Rentella. Rentella is accused of killing her wife, Anna-Marie Cochran Rentella, at their Granby home in 2010. Jurors deadlocked in the first two trials but found Rentella guilty at the third trial. She was sentenced to life in prison without parole. The Supreme Judicial Court overturned that verdict and sent the case back for a new trial. Juror selection will continue in Hampshire Superior Court today. The Attorney General's Office has certified 34 ballot questions for the 2024 November election. One question would grant municipalities new options for tenant protection, including the ability to impose rent control. Other ballot questions include removing the MCAS graduation requirement, bringing up minimum wage for tip workers so they could earn the same as general workers, and pausing the gas tax if gasoline prices go above a certain amount. Ballot questions only become certified if they're in the correct form, cannot be the same or virtually the same as anything brought before voters in the previous two statewide elections, among other requirements. Sunshine this morning, partly sunny this afternoon. There's a slight chance of a shower this afternoon as well. It's hot and a high of 90 to 94. Scattered showers and thunderstorms possible this evening, an overnight low of 66 to 72. Mostly cloudy tomorrow, afternoon showers and a high of 84 to 88. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. Which says we need to appeal to the wealthy white people of our region because the marginalized people do not have money. Which is true, but as we know, that's what happens when you have centuries of policies that are oppressive, that are racist. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP News, Information and the Arts. 
Get on your bike in September with the 13th annual Will Bike for Food, benefiting the Food Bank of Western Mass. This fun cycling event takes place September 24th at the Lions Club Pavilion in Hatfield. Cyclists of all ages and levels can pedal towards a hunger-free future while cycling through the scenic Connecticut River Valley and then celebrating at the exclusive after party. So join a team of friends, family, or co-workers, or ride and fundraise yourself. Register today at willbikeforfood.org. Presented by Stop and Shop. 20 years ago, we envisioned creating a brighter future for people and planet. Now, PV Squared celebrates a big milestone. Two decades of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar projects for homes and businesses in our community. PV Squared is a worker-owned co-op. When you partner with us, you get a team dedicated to the success of your project, from your first meeting to servicing your system down the road. Build solar right and do business better. It's the co-op difference. Learn more at pvsquared.coop. Are you tired of feeling like a watchless hero in a world full of timekeeping villains? Fear not. Hero Watch Repair is here to save the day. With over 20 years of experience and a heroic five-star customer rating, Hero Watch is the... And welcome to the show. This is our uh, All That Jazz segment, which we lead with Take Five by Dave Brubeck. It is the tireless Ruth Griggs, who is, you know, behind the scenes of what goes on when we have a music festival or the like. There's just so much work. And you, Ruth Griggs, you've been organizing uh, the Northampton Jazz Festival and are organizing this year's 2023 Jazz Fest, which is going to be on September 30th. And uh, you've been pretty busy. Yeah. Uh, September is the month for um, being busy with the, getting ready for the Northampton Jazz Festival, which is uh, happening on September 29 and 30 this year, uh, the last two days of September throughout downtown Northampton. But I just want to segue from your last guest, who I know was a librarian, to tell you all out there in Radio Land that tonight from 5 to 7.30 on the Forbes Library Lawn in downtown Northampton, we have an outdoor concert that is a collaboration between the Northampton Jazz Festival and the Forbes Library. Um, thank you, Faith Kaufman, for putting this together. And we have a wonderful quartet that's going to be playing, led by Paul Arslanian. Um, and we are going to have a sing-along. So we're going to be handing out lyric sheets of some of your favorite tunes, including I Could Write a Book, oh. which, is a, which is a jazz standard. What a segue. And um, so, so I know it's going to be a little hot. Bring your lawn chair. Bring. We have, we're going to have lots of cold Hydrate. water to drink. There we're going to have go. lots of cold water to drink. And bring a fan and sit back and enjoy live jazz on the Forbes Library lawn tonight from 5 to 7.30. I think we should call it cool jazz. <laughs> I, I hope it'll cool people down. I don't know. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question for our guest, Ryan Hollander, today. Um, Ryan Hollander is a vocalist. Um, who is growing in, in popularity. He's now starting to travel around the world with his music. Um, and he's also a board member on the Northampton Jazz Festival and is a producer 
um, for some of our concerts that are coming up on, on uh, 29th and 30th. So, Ryan, thank you for being with us here today all the way from New York City. Hi there, Ruth. Happy to join you. And actually, I'm in, uh, I'm in New Jersey this morning helping out our friend Nan Parati to get ready for the Montclair Jazz Festival this weekend. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Lots of connections. <laughs> Nan Parati. Well, Ryan was the one who introduced me to Nan Parati, the famous, world-famous sign maker of all things festivals. And he said, you've got to have Nan Parati make signs for you. So I started. And she actually has already delivered the signs for this year's jazz festival. And part of the reason is because she... She knew she had Montclair to do down in New Jersey, which is a really, really important jazz festival. So, and, um, and Ryan Hollander, I, I, I'm not sure if you know this, but Nan, for eight years, she uh, she traveled with Jimmy Buffett. She just suffered the loss of a dear, longtime friend in Jimmy Buffett, uh, famously Margaritaville, Jimmy Buffett. And so when you see Nan, uh, express my condolences to her for her loss. I know they were very close right up to the end. I did not sure know I'll. that. I wish I had. Um, I wish I had acknowledged that when I saw her the other day. That's she seemed in good, pretty good spirits oh, considering. Good. So, good. but anyway, so Ryan, um, again, thanks for being here. And Ryan, if you could, if you could um, talk to us first a little bit about some of what you are excited about with the upcoming jazz festival, some of the musicians that I know you personally have been responsible for, for, um, for, for bringing on board. Um, talk to us a little bit about what you feel makes this jazz festival special for our audience. Sure. So actually, I think what I'm looking forward to the most this year is our jazz strut. We really have a great lineup planned for those of you who might not know what our jazz strut is, I always kind of explain it to people as a sort of pub crawl where there's live music at every stop along the way. And so we've got a lot of great talent coming in this year. And I'm just going to um, interrupt you to remind people that that's on Friday, September 29. It starts at Pulaski Park at 4.30 and then it crawls or strolls or struts, as the word is, um, through <laughs> breweries, bars, and restaurants throughout Northampton until 1130 this year. So go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, so it kicks off in Pulaski Park with the Jeff Holmes Big Band. Jeff Holmes has been a fixture of the Western Mass community for a long time, is the head of the jazz program at UMass. I got the chance to study with him during my time at the university. Um, we've got Matt Dwanzik, who is a Hartford-based musician. He's going to be leading his Dwan's Tet, which will feature the great vocalist Chanel Johns. I think that's kind of a recent update, and we're really fortunate to have that group. Matt will also be leading a jam session. It's the festival's first year experimenting with the idea of having a jam session. I'm really excited about that. Uh, we've also got some other great cats coming from New York City. Melanie Giselle, a great singer, Uruguayan, who will be doing a mix of Latin American tunes and jazz standards. Bar Filopowitz, a great Israeli bass player, is going to be bringing an electric quartet to the Worst House. There's just a lot of great music happening around downtown Northampton all night on the 29th. And then, you know, as well as Saturday the 30th, we've got our great headliner, 
the Max Roach Centennial Celebration with Joe Farnsworth and George Coleman, Jeremy Pelt, Peter Washington, Christian Sands, just an all-star lineup. We've got Mark Whitfield in the shed at the parlor room. In the shed. Alicia Gould. (laughs) (laughs) that's an interesting one um let me let me just let me just pause right there um i i just want to reinforce to our listeners um some of whom may be musicians that um again ryan has recommended a late night jam for um friday jazz strut day so that you know musicians in the area can come and enjoy playing with with Matt Dwanzik, who's an, a really wonderful bass player, very sensitive, very accommodating bass player, um, and he's it. That starts at I think ten, right? It, right, Ryan, ten o'clock at the Toasted Owl. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So ten o'clock at the Toasted Owl, ten to eleven thirty is this new late night jam. So, you know. Bring your axe, bring your, your lead sheets, and, and come and enjoy something that really Northampton has not seen before, which is a, mm-hmm. which is a jam session at the Toasted Owl um, after the jazz strut. Um, and also, I just want to uh, stay on the strut for a minute. Um, you know, there are a variety of different places where music is taking place, the Worst House um, and, and, and others, and the idea is that the music starts every half hour at these different locations. But the musicians play for two hours. So you mm-hmm. can, you know, take in a half an hour of, you know, a band at the worst house, then you can go over to progression to hear the next band. You can go to the deck to hear the next band. You can go to Spoletto's reservations recommended for supper and <laughs> and hear next next group. Um, Fitzwillies is participating for the first time this year. Um, and that's where Matt and his band will be, and then moving over to um, the Toasted Owl f- to to round out the evening. So, it's it starts in Pulaski Park, but it very quickly. M- oh, I forgot Northampton Brewery. Sorry about that. Northampton Brewery is also on the map for your your strutting. Um, and so progression. Did we mention progression? We mentioned progression. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, with Ron Smith and his soulful jazz quartet. And Ron is, um, uh, is a teacher up at um, the Northfield Mount Hermon School, and he um, has been leading the jazz program up there for many years. So he's, he's become quite a fixture in the jazz world, certainly in Northampton and beyond. So he'll, he's going to bring a really wonderful larger group to progression where there's plenty of room to dance and enjoy. Um, so so it just, you know, you can make a night of it, um, there's there's food that you can eat at Worst House. There's food at Northampton Brewery. There's food at Fitzwillie's, at Progression as well. The deck every and, and Spoletto's. Every single one of these locations is a place where you can, you know, stay for a bit and get get something to eat as well as something to uh, to drink and and then move on to the next spot. Ryan Hollander, I I have a question. Uh, this is Buzz and. I've gone to a number of jazz festivals in my life in a number of different states, and I always see something that really warms my heart that I'd like to hear your, your comments about, which is a lot of our listeners right now, a lot of people are not familiar with the jazz genre. There's something about live music. There's something, um, whatever the genre is, when you see a, a musician, a talented person uh, applying their uh, talents to uh, entertain. 
It's a little bit different. You as a jazz vocalist who loves and understands jazz, you know the names that you're... But a lot of people don't. Why should they come to the Northampton Jazz Festival? Ryan? Well, there's nothing better than watching it in person. You know, a lot of friends of mine who are not necessarily avid jazz listeners, you know, they don't put jazz music on in the car or in their homes. But to see it and experience it and to watch the high-caliber musicianship that often goes on during a jazz concert is really special and can be enjoyable for someone even who doesn't consider themselves much of a jazz enthusiast. And I think that... um I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say that unlike some jazz festivals, which can really be um, presenting music that's way out there, pushing the envelope, I know that that you know we we are we are trying to appeal to a, a wide audience here, both in terms of you know age and income and you know gender identity, you know nationality. We we really are are looking to kind of cover that waterfront, and so. I feel that our music, while it pushes a little bit of an envelope, it's 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 usually very approachable. You know, I, I'm I'm thinking about um, Voyo Satoshi and Chris Patashal, who are a very interesting duo with a, a vocalist and and a piano player. Well, you know, they they are creating a sound and they are creating a story um, that is just captivating. Not in terms of the lyrics, yes, but also just in terms of they as performers, you know, musicians having being a, a jazz vocalist as well as a, a an actress, I feel that that you know jazz can be sort of encapsulate both, especially a vocalist, right, Ryan? I mean, you you've got to really connect with the audience, and you're um, as I know they say about Venetia Gould, who was one of our guests on on Jazz Fest Day, she's a storyteller. Absolutely. Venetia is quite a storyteller and quite a songwriter. Uh, she's really out of the box of, uh, you know, definitely not straight ahead jazz, uh, kind of bordering on folk music in a way. Um, I've seen Venetia a number of times and sometimes she's got unique instrumentation. I saw her at, at Mesro, which is a great jazz club here in New York City. And she did a, a rendition of Dolly Parton's Jolene with a viola, and it just had this absolutely chilling effect. It was unlike any other version of Jolene I've ever heard. Well, and actually, I think after the break, which we're going to be taking um, fairly soon, um, I'd like to ask Dan to play a track um, of... Venetia Gould singing Feeling Good by Nina Simone. Um, oh, great. She has an incredible rendition of that um, that I think will kind of give you a sense of what we're talking about that. We'll, we'll do that in a few minutes. But We will, and we, we are uh, going to take a break. We're talking with vocalist Ryan Hollander, who is, like Ruth Griggs, one of the board members who are going to bring us to Northampton Jazz Festival. And I'll just say to Ryan and... Um, to Ruth as well. The thing that from past Northampton Jazz Festivals, the intimacy of having the festival right here in our own home, right here on the streets in the, the locations that we're familiar with, I think we're not just entertaining people for that moment. 
it leaves you with memories. I remember past jazz fest uh, because they're our own. We're going to be right back. Continue our conversation with Ryan Hollander right after this. Shine in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me, yeah. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me. And I'm feeling good. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. It's your home for the resistance. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Get informed, then get involved. I'm Tom Hartman from the Tom Hartman Program. Intelligent talk, opinion, and debate. Join me every weekday, noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Rutabagas, sweet potatoes, turnips, and leeks. Local produce is rooting its way to the co-op every day. At the co-op meat counter, try coffee-rubbed hanger steak, a delicious mix of sweet and bold heat. New recipe and you need just a pinch of this herb or that spice? Get just the right amount in the co-op's bulk department. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, the Pioneer Valley's newspaper covering Holyoke to Deerfield and Belchertown to the Hilltowns, was awarded New England Newspaper of the Year for their local news coverage. Home delivered six days a week and online 24-7. Try their digital-only subscription options and stay connected with your community wherever you are. Pick up a copy on newsstands, subscribe, or visit gazettenet.com. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, covering the Pioneer Valley since 1786. Did you know that you can prevent domestic and sexual violence? You can say something. We all can say something. Together, we can do so much. Say Something is the domestic and sexual violence prevention program at Safe Passage. Join a prevention lab to build your skills and find opportunities to say something to prevent violence. Join us and help make your community safe and healthy for everyone. Get more information or sign up for a prevention lab at saysomethingnow.org. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back with Ruth Griggs and her guest, Ryan Hollander, uh, the vocalist and board member for the Northampton Jazz Festival. And, and assistant to Nan Parati at the Montclair <laughs> Jazz Festival as we speak. Um, so <laughs> I just wanted to reinforce that we, we just, before the break, we heard Feeling Good by Nina Simone, um, incredibly beautifully sung by Venetia Gould, who is going to be one of our guests at the Northampton Jazz Festival on Saturday, September 30. She is singing at 4.30, from 4.30 to 5.45, at the Unitarian Society. So that's, the Unitarian Society is, is one of many 
um, venues that we will have on Jazz Fest Day. Um, you know, Pulaski Park has become kind of our hub. We start there at 11 a.m. with uh, actually a, a march with behind the expandable back brass band all around town just to make a lot of noise and let people know what's going on. It'll be a new dawn and a new day, and we'll be <laughs> feeling good. Ryan Hollander, I wanted to just, uh, before the break, I, I made a comment. I sort of just threw it out there, but it's one that I uh, can never sort of lose the feeling. I go to a jazz festival, and there will be one or two acts that I see that just live with me for years afterwards. I, I always think that I went there. I didn't just get entertained. I, I built a memory. And I'd love to hear you as a performer and as somebody who wants to offer other performers to people who attend the Northampton Jazz Festival on this September 29th and 30th. I, I want to hear your, your reaction when I say you build memories. Absolutely. And, and when I think of memories that I've built at jazz festivals in general over the past decade or so, the earliest one that really comes to mind is back in, I think it was probably about 2013, when Al Foster was the headliner actually for Northampton Jazz Festival. And this was kind of right before I ended up joining the jazz program at UMass. I didn't know at the time that I was going to be pursuing jazz and spending the next 10 years of my life making it my passion and life's purpose. But seeing Al Foster that that beautiful day in the parking lot behind Thorns Market really had a lasting impact on me, not only the performance, but also getting the chance to talk to Al after and getting sort of words of encouragement from him. And I think, you know, that's the, that's the magic of jazz festivals for me then and since is the sort of inspiration that you leave with as an artist and just feeling really inspired to get back in the practice room and work on that new material or write those new songs or, you know, really pursue that vision that, that you're working on as an artist. And that's been something that has brought me deep fulfillment over the past 10 years at Northampton Jazz Festival and other jazz festivals in the Northeast, like notably Newport Jazz Festival and Montclair Jazz Festival. Well, that's, a, that's a, a, wonderful, a wonderful thing, a wonderful memory that you shared with us. And, and I think whether you're a musician or whether you are um, just someone who likes festivals in general um, and likes live music, come to the Northampton Jazz Festival. How do people find out more about uh, On the September 29 and 30, NorthamptonJazzFest.org is all you need to do. Every piece of information is there. All of our lineup is there. And you'll be hearing more about the Jazz Festival on my show coming up over the course of September. NorthamptonJazzFest.org. I want to thank again Ryan for, for being here. Um, and have a wonderful Montclair Jazz Festival this weekend. And we will... <laughs> We will um, see you on the next time, everyone. Thank you, Ryan Hollander. Thank you, Ruth Griggs. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today. Remember, we don't just talk the talk. We try to walk the walk. Wasting away again in Margaritaville. 
The Food Bank of Western Massachusetts provides healthy food to families and individuals facing hunger in our region. And right now, with food insecurity the highest it's been in recent years, the Food Bank is distributing more emergency food than ever. Learn more about the Food Bank or get support for yourself and your family. Go to foodbankwma.org or call 413-247-9738. The Food Bank of Western Mass, committed to making sure our neighbors have enough to eat and leading the community to end hunger. Here's a slice of advice about pizza boxes. It's okay to recycle the entire pizza box as long as it's empty. For a long time, greasy boxes were assumed to cause recycling problems, but a new study proved they don't. It's time to capture the three billion pizza boxes used annually in the U.S. Visit RecycleSmartMA.org to learn more about what can and can't get recycled. After you've enjoyed tonight's pizza, turn the box inside out, discard what falls out, and recycle the rest. Brought to you by the Northampton and WR. SIHD2 Turner's Falls, WHMP.com, a Northampton Radio Group station.